0: Mike's on, he's ready to go, on the fan, New York sports radio, Mike's on, Mike's on, he'll get you the sports any way that he can, it's Mike Francis up on the fan, sports radio 66, and 101.9 FM,
1: WFAN. All right, on this Monday evening, we come to you a little after 6 o'clock, brought to you by Casamigos Tequila, brought to you by those who drink it uh, after a... Quiet weekend. Oh, well, it's a beautiful weekend, though. It was nice, though. Weather was nice for a change. Uh, today, a little chillier. It, was a little, it rained a little bit this afternoon, but uh, uh, Saturday and Sunday were really nice. I mean, just beautiful weather. Almost summer-like weather the last couple of days. Saturday was a little cooler. Uh, Sunday, yesterday, was almost like summery. Uh, and I'm sure everybody got out of the house, at least for a... Uh, a couple of minutes as we try to figure things out here in May. Not that we've figured things out any better in the last couple of days than we uh, had the days before that. And I know it, uh, it, it is getting, I, I would say, uh, alarmingly uh, frustrating by the day. Uh, first, let me say that um, that's the Dallas Bias Club was the movie I was thinking of. Uh, I, I couldn't remember the full name, but the Dallas Bias Club was a depressing movie, but very well acted, by McConaughey and uh, Jennifer Garner was very good in it too, and also Jared Leto, who was the guy who I talked about who played Prefontaine in, good, in the good Prefontaine movie. The other one was okay, but that movie's pretty good. Uh, and I, the reason I brought Prefontaine up is because of the fact that I was making the point that Jordan was reluctant to go with Nike because he thought Nike as a running shoe, and the, the reason why it was a running shoe was because Phil Knight had been part of the great Oregon running program, as a walk-on, and that was the program that Prefontaine took to national celebrity. Their coach was a legendary coach and an Olympic coach, and he actually presided over a rough Olympics, as you know, because uh, he was there when the Olympic they didn't do well, uh, and he was always also there during the the you know horrific as is big part of the movie, uh, and, you know, they had to postpone one of Prefontaine's races and play and do it later in the, in the meet, and later in the uh, schedule because of what happened, obviously, at the Olympics, uh, you know, so uh, it was, you know, the, you know, horrific Olympic uh, assassinations and the killings and everything that went on. Uh, with the Israeli team, which was, you know, it's just so horrific. That was, that, he was caught up in a big part of that uh, during that time. And that's a big part of the movie, as a matter of fact, and impacted that Olympic Games. And then he was trying to go back and race against them at, at another Olympics. And uh, he raced against the great uh, Finn racer, uh, Lassie Baron. Uh, and he wound up beating him in what was a classic race, as a matter of fact. But that was a big part of it. But that was why Jordan was reluctant to go with Nike, which they made a big part of in the documentary last night. And it was his mother that made him keep his appointments and go visit the Nike campus, as it is in Beaverton, Ohio, uh, Beaverton, Oregon, and uh, they. Put forth such an incredible presentation that Jordan was all in. And, you know, a billion dollars later, Jordan has a sneaker brand uh, for the ages, one that still sells dramatically. As a matter of fact, if you go into a, a, you know, sporting goods store, like a Dick's sporting goods store, they have a Jordan wing. They have a, a whole part that's just Jordan stuff. I mean, every part of it is just Jordan. Jordan sneakers, Jordan jerseys and, you know, workout gear and everything else. I mean, it's all, it's all Jordan. And this is, you know, how many years after he has retired? Think about a guy having that kind of appeal all these years later, that the remarkable appeal that he still has to sell equipment. And you can see, you know, one, uh, it, it's been brought up that one of the things – The reasons why Jordan gave permission to this thing and got involved is because of he wanted to, you know, re-shine his star a little bit because of the attention being paid to LeBron. You can see that when you realize how many times Jordan says, well, they actually dared to compare this guy to me or dared to compare this guy to me or this guy thought he could guard me or this guy thought he could. And he's mentioned Guys, who let's be honest, Clyde Drexler was a very good player, he was not Michael Jordan. Who in their right mind thought Dan Marley could shut down Michael Jordan? Okay, these are the kind of things now. There were a couple of guys that Michael didn't love, he didn't love Isaiah, which we all know that goes way back, he didn't love Reggie Miller. So, uh, and you know, Reggie had his unique ability, you know, Reggie A didn't care. And Reggie would stop and make a shot on anybody, anytime, anywhere. The bigger the shot, the bigger the chance that Reggie was going to make it. I mean, that's all was to it. Reggie's one of the few guys who was as good at the end of the game as Michael was. He wasn't as good the whole game. He wasn't nearly as good, and he wasn't a very good all-around player. But he was, at the end of the game, with one shot on the line, he was as good as Michael was. I mean, he's one of the few guys. You know, you could put maybe three or four guys you're going to put on that level. You're going to put... Reggie there, you're going to put Michael there. You're going to put Jerry West there. Curry has that ability, although I don't know that he's made as many shots as some of these other guys have. Uh, Sam Jones was another one, a Celtic great who had a habit for making last shots. Uh, Those would be the guys that you would put on that first wave of that group of guys who just were uncanny. Reggie was uncanny, let's be honest. and He really was. But... uh, Those were the two guys that Jordan really had an issue with. Well, Reggie won. Uh, Isaiah won. And Reggie, too. And they can say that everyone kept Isaiah off that Olympic team. Let's be honest. We all know Michael kept him off that Olympic team. Michael was the man on that Olympic team. They made it seem like Michael became the man during that Olympic team. Michael was the man before that Olympic team. So uh, that's all there was to it. He was a ready-to-guy. And, yes, there was this Magic-Michael stuff that they talked about and all the trash talking and all the great stuff. And that was a great story because I think Magic had that kind of competitiveness. And let's be honest, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, those guys, you know, they don't take a backseat to anybody. Those guys could play with anybody, including Michael. You know, was Michael better? Yes, he was better. Because the difference between Michael and, and Larry and Magic is Michael could also stop you on the other end of the floor. Those guys couldn't. Larry could score off anybody who ever lived. Magic could score if anybody who ever lived. Michael could score if anybody who lived. Michael could stop you from scoring, though. The other two guys couldn't. They weren't those kind of defenders. Michael was that kind of defender. He was an all-world defender, which is why if they were, when they were in their mood, when they had Michael and Scotty. And a motivated Ron Harper who made you allowed you to switch everything, or Horace when he was motivated, not whining, or Rodman when he was paying attention. Those are, those are as good at defensive teams as you could ever have, and you had in Jordan a great defender and in Pippen as good a, as good a perimeter defender as anyone's ever played the sport. So you had incredible defensive prowess, which has always been overlooked by those teams. Those teams, I always said this, Jordan would make a last shot, and Jordan was going to score a lot of points whether he took, you know, some nights he would take 15 shots, and sometimes he would take 30 shots. It depended on the game. He was going to get his 30 points. The question was how many shots it was going to take him. Some nights it was going to take him a whole bunch of shots, and he'd miss a bunch. Some nights he would make all of the shots. That was the night, and you'd go that way. If he was going to make all the shots, it wasn't going to be a close game. If he was going to miss a whole bunch of shots to get his 35 well he's still going to get his thirty five he 's just going to take a whole bunch of shots that night. A lot of nights, the mix made him take a whole bunch of shots, but they were still shooting thirty percent. That was the difference because the bulls always brought their defense in those games and what the bulls had was an ability to slash and burn and kill you with those they turn their they take the ball away and transition and get running on that transition and then you got Jordan in the lane and you got Pippen in the lane and you got Jordan following Pippen, Pippen following Jordan and that was a lot, lot to handle and then you'd kick it out once in a while and on that last play you saw at the end of the game Pippen hit a wide open Horace who instead of shooting it throws it to Paxson who's wide open and Paxson makes the shot and if you were Paxson or B.J. Armstrong or Curry your job was to make the shot, that was what you were there for You were there to make the shot. And a lot of times those guys did, whether it was Kerr or whether it was B.J. Armstrong or whether it was John Paxson. They were good at making a shot. That was their job. You know, it would be a kick and throw it to one of those guys who was wide open, and that was it. Back after this. All right, we're back. You know, in that uh, Phoenix series, you know, you saw Barkley say they, he played the best game of his life and Jordan uh, beat him, which he did. They both scored 42 that night. The game I was alluding to with Dumas was the game five where the Bulls, come, the Bulls think they're going to wrap it up and the, and the uh, Suns beat him in game five. Dumas went 12 for 14 from the floor in that game and scored 25 points. 12 for 14. Now in that game, Jordan had 44 and Pippen had 26 and 10 rebounds and nine assists, but they both took a you know a lot of shots in that game. But Dumas went 12 for 14 in that game, and you know he had a couple. He had 17 one night, and then that game he had 25, and they weren't expecting that because they had KJ who scored. You know you had Barkley and you had KJ and you had Marley. And then they were getting it from Dumas, which they were like, what the heck is, you know, what is this about? You know, where, where is this coming from? We got we to make sure this doesn't happen again. I mean, because we, we know we're going to have to deal with KJ. We know we're going to have to deal with, uh, with, with Marley and deal with uh, at Barkley, but we weren't expecting to deal with. Uh, so they're down 3-1, and they win that game 108-98, And, you know, make it three games to two. And Dumas goes 12 for 14 in 30 minutes of play and scores 25 points. Barkley scores 24. KJ gets 25. Uh, And in that game, Jordan gets 41 and Pippen gets 22 and 12 rebounds. Uh, uh, But uh, Jordan took like 30-something shots in that game. And then the last game, they win 99 98 in Game 6. Oh, that series was tough on them because they lost that Game 5, and that was the game where Dumas had 17-1 game and then 25 the other game, and that was the big surprise. They weren't expecting that. But that was a good team because they had KJ, they had Dan Marley, KJ, Barkley playing well, and then Dumas playing well. And, you know, the Bulls were looking for that third score. Where were they going to get it from? Because, you know, you were going to get – Pippen was going to get in his 20s, Jordan was going to get somewhere around 35. You know, some game 40, some game 30, but pretty much was going to break 30 every night. I mean, a couple games in that series, he took a lot of shots. One game in that series, he took 40-something shots. That was that overtime game. He took, I think, 43 or 44 shots in that game. I mean, think about that. That's a lot of shots in a game, 43, 44 shots. But, he, you know, he would just keep hoisting away because, you know, they needed those two to score and they were going to play a lot of minutes and then one night they get it from Armstrong one night they get it from Grant you know one night they get it from somebody else so i mean that's they were looking to find that third scorer but you know it was going to be those two it was going to be Jordan was going to be in the mid 30s to high 30s most of those nights and Pippen was going to be you know somewhere between 22 and 25 26 in most of those games and that was how they scored that was pretty much their offense you know, And then he had to do the other stuff. He'd get his 10 rebounds, he'd get a bunch of assists, he had to do, fill up the board, get a bunch of steals, do that stuff, so that, that was a tough series, though, because you know KJ gave him speed. Dumas made some shots, Barkley inside. I mean that was, they played well. You know, that, that series was a, was a tough series for. Him. It really was. Uh, but I remember that, because we actually went we went to their finals. We stayed with them that year, because we, we, we actually went and, and I remember going to the Phoenix series, and it turned out to be a good series. We used to love to go to Chicago for those series. We used to go a lot. So uh, we spent a lot of time in that building uh, through those years. And obviously the Knicks, who thought a couple of times they had their chances, just couldn't get past them. No matter what they did, they, they just couldn't get past them. I mentioned on the, uh, on the Radio.com Hour, I didn't mention yet on this program, obviously uh, the passing of Don Shula. Um. there's nobody there's no face that was more symbolic of the NFL other than Vince Lombardi's and then when Lombardi was gone there was Shula I mean Shula was the standard he was there he was winning he was there every year he was a very important guy he was you know the main thrust of the competition committee you know What he said went, that was it. Shula was, you had Shula and you had Landry, and they were on the same plane. They were, you know, big winners, but they also were guys that were known to be clean cut. They did it their way, and, you know, that was it. You had those two guys. And the amazing thing, as Shula won more, you know, he started coaching at a very young age. He was a head coach at 32 or 33. I think it was either one or the other. I think it was 33. Um, obviously lost that championship to the Jets and the Namath with that you know crazy game with the Colts. That game bothered him a lot. Went to the Dolphins, lost his first Super Bowl. Remember, he gets to the Super Bowl and gets beat by the, Dol- by the Cowboys and-, and Landry and Staubach 24-3. to But comes back off that and wins back-to-back Super Bowls including the perfect season. And the perfect season meant a great deal to them because there's two things that really stand out for Shula. Number one, he's the winningest coach of all time. Number two, he coached the only perfect team in the history of the sport. Lombardi didn't do that. Paul Brown didn't do that. You know, Tom Landry didn't do that. Bill Belichick didn't do that. Don Shula did it. Now, the amazing thing, Shula has a losing record in the Super Bowl. The other thing is how it's shocking that Shula and Dan Marino, as good as Shula was, as good as Dan Marino was, it's amazing they did not team up and win a title. That is almost hard. When you look back on their history, it's almost hard to fathom that those two would be together as they were and not able to win a championship together. But, you know, year after year, Shula was there. And Joe Brown, you know, the longtime executive who, I, who lives near me, and he texts me sometimes, and I see him from time to time. He told me that there was a time, think about this, Jet fans, where Shula almost came up to coach the Jets. And the plan was that Shula was going to coach him for a couple of years and then hand them off to his son. How about that if that had happened? I never heard that story till today. Joe Brown told me that story today. He said, you know, Shula came close once to coaching the Jets. I said, I never heard that. How about that? And he said the deal was he was just going to coach him for a year or two and then turn him over to his son. Uh, Imagine if that – think about how history might have changed if that had ever happened. How about that? Well, I never heard that, that he came close to coaching another team. But when you think about the league – and you think about coaches, you obviously see Lombardi. You obviously see the man in the hat in Landry. And you see Paul Brown. And future be- uh, generations will see the hoodie in Belichick. But there was Shula, rock-jawed, always there with that same look. And he was, he was the NFL. Shula's... Profile is one of the profiles that is enduring to the National Football League. If you were going to paint five portraits in the history of the National Football League, you would paint Don Shuler's as one of them. That's how big he was. You cannot... Overstate Shula's importance to the National Football League. That's how big it was. So if you're young enough, you're like, "What's the fuss about this 90-year-old guy who died?" Go back and look, and you'll see what the fuss was. He's the winningest coach ever. He coached the only undefeated team ever, and he was a standard in this league for a very, very long time. That was Shula. That's all I was doing. Hey, who are you playing against? This week? Playing against Shula. That's it. Was Shula. So he was that big. This is one of the enduring icons in the history of football. That's who passed today. Lived a very long life, had a great life. He had a lot of success. He had a lot of success in football, he had a lot of success in life. His Shula. Steakhouses were very successful. I think everything he touched, he was Mr. Florida. He was Mr. Miami. Real estate, developments, this. That Shula was enormous. He had a great life. He lived 90 years. And he will long be remembered as one of the true giants, true giants of the sport. Casamigos tequila, Brings you the program as it does each and every night. Brought to you by those who drink it. You got baseball coming up. As always, they give you a baseball game. Who knows? Maybe sometime, maybe sometime, we'll get out of each other's way and we'll figure out some way to bring back real baseball to this country. I don't know when, but who knows? Hope springs eternal. Stay safe.